are new tonight, I'm so glad that you are here. Even if it's the end of the year, I hope you keep coming back for the next three. You've noticed by now, hopefully, that we say something around these parts. We say that we believe that tonight is the best night of the week. And we don't think that it's the best night of the week because we're, like, super special. And it's the best place in the whole entire world. And there's nowhere better to be. And Grace Church is just higher than the rest. We don't think that. We think that it's the best night of the week wherever you are as long as you are spending it with other high schoolers worshiping and learning about Jesus. And so if you're a guest from a different church tonight, thank you for being here. Uh, if you've been coming for all of your middle school and high school career to next, then so glad that you are here too. Or if you've never been to church before and this is your first time, thank you for being here. Really, really glad that you are here. Come back next week. At the beginning of the year, we kicked off a year-long theme with a series called Jesus Said. And if you joined us halfway through or you're here for the first time or you've just forgotten, let me kind of catch you up to speed. And so the theme of Jesus Said is literally just us saying that this year all we've been talking about are literal specific things that Jesus himself said. Every single message comes from a place of scripture where Jesus is actually the one saying whatever it is that we are teaching on. We are highlighting Jesus' words and their implication for your life. And, and here we are at the end of yet another school year, getting ready to launch some of you into college or whatever is next for you next year. And, and my prayer for this year for all of you, whether you're a senior or a freshman or a leader, is that throughout this year, you have fallen deeper in love with Jesus and grown in your knowledge of who he is. And so tonight, I am both sad and excited to kick off our last series of the year, and honestly, probably our most important one. And what we're calling it is, It Is Finished. We're going to talk about this three-word sentence and its implication for your life, whether you'll be back next year or somewhere else. And in fact, this is like, this is the climax of the whole entire year, the arrest the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I want to be candid about my heart behind this series because, friends, let me just be honest with you. If you are graduating, the statistics are not in your favor. If they are true, then many of you will have stopped following Jesus by the time this time next year rolls around after you graduate. But what we know to be true is that there is someone who is more powerful than any statistic, and his name is Jesus. And so my aim for the next four weeks, whether it's me on stage, Laura, Zane, Jake, whoever is teaching, our aim is to lean closely with each of you, but especially those of you who won't be with us next year, and plead with you to know and believe in this man named Jesus. To plead with you to give your life to him and to trust him to lead you as you leave high school. To plead with you to trust in his life, his death, and his resurrection. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about what does it mean that it is finished. And so with that being said, I'm going to have you open up to John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. 
John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, my heading says the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John is the final gospel in the four gospels, or of the four gospels. It's going to be about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It says this, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Jesus, having procured a band, or Judas, excuse me, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill a word that he had, had spoken, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it back and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Matt. It's actually Malchus, but if you get it, you get it. No one laughed. That's unfortunate. Verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Let's pray. Jesus, we just give you tonight. God, I pray whether we have been walking with Jesus since our childhood and we know you well and we have an intimate and deep relationship with you or we're coming into this place with no interest in you, Jesus, maybe even not even believing in you. And they're hearing me pray this prayer and they're like, we're just talking to the sky. God, for the student with deep faith and for the student with no faith, I just pray that tonight you would reveal yourself to each of us, that you would help us to understand who you are and fall deeper in love with you, God, especially as we look at what it means that you say it is finished, God. We praise things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so Jesus, fully God, willingly and knowingly puts his life in the hands of evil men ready to falsely accuse and murder him. In fact, we see in this garden encounter some of the richest symbolism in the whole of Scripture. Because God, in his creative genius, placed his son in the midst of the Garden of Gethsemane so that we could see the comparison to the Garden of Eden. See, in the Garden, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, Adam sinned. In Gethsemane, Jesus overcame sin. In Eden, Adam fell. In Gethsemane, Jesus conquered. In Eden, Adam hid himself. In Gethsemane, Jesus boldly presented himself. In Eden, the sword was drawn, and in Gethsemane, it was sheathed. 
Friends, the symbolism is not accidental or incidental to Jesus' death. Because it serves as an assurance for us and for future generations that Christ was and is in control. See, the gravity of Jesus' arrest shows us the love and power of God in one simple story. Which ultimately leaves Jesus asking us the very question he asked the guards in the garden. Whom do you seek? And so I'm going to ask you tonight. Do you know who you seek? Or more acutely, do you have a right understanding of who Jesus is? Whom do you seek? See, what I love about the biblical author John is how ruthlessly this man defends in his gospel account the godhood or the divinity of Jesus Christ. You see, John's gospel is the single gospel that most highlights the fact that Jesus is God. Every single gospel account has a theme, right? In Matthew, the theme is that Jesus is the son of David, that he was descendant from David, and he's the king of Israel. In John, the theme and the emphasis is the simple fact that Jesus Christ is indeed God. And if you believe one thing about Jesus, the most important thing you can believe about him is that he is indeed God. So there's an important thing with that being said in this portion of scripture that we read that I want you to look at. And that's verses 4 through 6. You'll see it on the screen. It says this, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I am he. What does this mean? Well, if we go back in our Bibles all the way to the book of Exodus, when Moses is sent to the enslaved Israelites in Egypt, he meets God in a burning bush. And he's told this in Exodus 3, verses 9 through 10. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression, oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so, of course, Moses who is perhaps the single most unqualified of the unqualified people to lead God's people. In fact, Moses was so unqualified because of a speech impediment that his brother Aaron had to speak on his behalf. It says this later in the story about Moses. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Your brother Aaron will speak on your behalf since you cannot speak. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Moses is saying, God, I have a stutter. Why would they listen to me? And yet God was sending him anyways. Back in chapter 3, Moses responds to God's commands to free his people and asks him this. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? 
Moses had no authority, and he knew it. In fact, Moses had just run from Israel or from Egypt just a couple months earlier because he was wanted for murder. Friends, Moses was nothing and no one special. But what made Moses special was the one who sent him. And you might be wondering, Matt, why are you telling us this story? Well, in Exodus 3, verses 13 through 14, it says this. Then Moses said to God, standing at the burning bush, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. And I, and I just would ask, like, please bear with me for a moment and allow me to dig into the meaning of this name, I am. Because I think it will and it can greatly impact your faith. Because the Hebrew word for I am, you'll see it on the screen, it's pronounced a yeh. A yeh. Can you put that on the screen? There it is. A yeh. It means I am. And you might look at that long enough and you might see that it looks like another name that we have for God. I'll get to that in a second. But due to peculiarities in the Hebrew language, this word actually has three meanings. It means I am, I was, and I will be. See, when God proclaims that his name is I am, what he's saying is that he is he was, and he will be. His name I am means he is, he was, and he will be. God continues in verse 14 in Exodus 3, or in verse 15, excuse me. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. See, if you've been around church for just a little bit, you probably know God by a specific name. In fact, you've heard me say, and if you want to throw it back up there, that a Yehu, or the Yeha, that Hebrew word, it looks a whole lot like Yahweh. Because our English pronunciation of this name is indeed Yahweh. So when we call God Yahweh, when we sing and proclaim that God is Yahweh, we are saying that he is the I am, he is the I was, and he is the I will be. Now why am I bringing you from John 18 all the way to Exodus 3? Because that same I am is the I am who stood in the garden being arrested. Again, it says this in John 18, 4 through 6. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Now, why do we know that's special? Because what did it do to the people trying to arrest him? It sent them to the ground. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus is God. 
He is the I am. He is the I was, and he is the I will be. The name of God points to the very nature of God, the fact that he has always existed and will always exist. And what I love about the Gospel of John is that he obsesses over this fact. See, the foundation of John's Gospel and the thing that makes it different from all other Gospels is that it's the only one that includes what are called the seven I am statements of Jesus. There are seven times when Jesus uses this terminology. He says, I am, and you have to acknowledge this fact. You have to understand that in Jewish culture, to even use your name intertwined with the phrase I am was to claim divinity. It would be like you saying, hey, I'm just like God. Me in Jewish society, ancient Jewish society saying, I am Matt, would be like saying, Matt is God. And so it is no coincidence that Jesus hones in on these seven phrases. He says in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture or peace. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And finally, John 15, 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, when Jesus asks the guards who they were seeking, and he answered, I am he, they didn't fall to the ground out of fear or because of Jesus' tone. They fell because they were standing against God himself. A God who had taken on flesh and dwelt amongst his people. A God who was freely giving himself up to be sacrificed for the sins of the world and all those who would believe in him. A God who, while dying on the cross, proclaimed, it is finished for you and for me if we believe. So I'll say again, Jesus is asking you, whom do you seek? Do you seek a Jesus who is just a moral teacher because you won't find him? Do you seek a Jesus who is just a vending machine who will give you what you want? You won't find him. Do you seek a Jesus who is the I am, the I was, and the I will be? Because just like he was present with Moses in the burning bush and present with the guards in the Garden of Gethsemane and present with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, so also is he present with you right here and right now. Because he, Jesus, the I am, 
the I was, and the I will be. He is here right now. So who do you say that Jesus is? See, I say that Jesus is God. A God who came to bring us freedom and liberty from sin. And this might be news for you, but you are being held captive. You are chained and shackled by sin. And there is only one who can free you from those chains and shackles, and he is Jesus. And he is God. A God who wants to set us free if we believe in him. So I want you to listen to who Jesus says he is. Not who the world says Jesus is or who you thought Jesus might be, but who Jesus says that he is. He says that he is the bread of life. Whoever shall go to him shall not hunger and whoever shall believe in him shall not thirst. He says that he is the light of the world, that if you follow him, you will not walk in darkness. He says that if he is the door, and if anyone enters by him, he will be saved and find peace. He says that he is the good shepherd, one who is willing to die for his sheep. He says that he is the resurrection and the life, that he will give you life and that you will never die if you follow him, not physically, but eternally. Jesus says that he is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life. He's the only route to true life, true happiness, true joy, completeness, peace. And he says that he is the vine. That if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. What is that fruit? He's simply talking about love, joy, peace patience, that those things, those emotions you can't seem to find on your own, he can provide them for you. That's who Jesus is. And so I don't, I, I don't know what has happened to you in your past that might lead you to a place of wanting nothing to do with him. Maybe you were hurt. Maybe you were lied to. You were abused or manipulated by someone who claims Jesus' name. And because of it, now whenever you hear about Jesus, all you can think about is him or her. I just want to say, first of all, I'm sorry for how Christians may have treated you, if that's you. Usually in a room this size, there's at least one that's like, you know, I don't really want anything to do with Jesus or Christians because of how they've treated me. Whether you're a skeptic. Gay, trans, male, female, black, white, fill in the blank. I'm sorry for how Christians may have treated you. But Jesus is not those men or women. The I am is not those men or women. Because Jesus is life. He is light. He is love. He is peace. He is joy. He is gentleness. He is salvation. And he is God. And friend, I can tell you, Jesus is worth it. Belief in Jesus is worth it. And according to Jesus, you were worth it. Worth coming from heaven to earth and living life without a single sin. Never lying, never cheating, never lusting, never being self-righteous, never making someone feel hated. Never a single sin. Also that he could be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane after being betrayed by a friend. 
so that he could be falsely accused and hung on an ancient cross, which was meant for criminals and dying what historians call the most inhumane and hateful deaths that a human could ever die. Dying so that he could pay the price of your sins, all of your lying, your cheating, your lusting, your self-righteousness, and your hatred, all of your sins, even the ones you think only you know about. Jesus knew of all of your sins before he went to the cross. He knew of your rebellion. And he knew of the, the hurt that you have or would receive because of someone else's rebellion. And he purchased for you on the cross freedom from sin. And liberty from your captivity to it. And after dying for your sins, he rose again from the grave three days later so that you could not just have freedom, but life in Christ through his resurrection. That is who Jesus is. And you can receive that freedom and liberty if you simply do what Romans 10.9 says. And confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. If you do those things, you will be saved. Scripture is clear. If you confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not a you might be saved. Not a well, we'll see if you're saved if you start living good enough. But a you will be saved. And you might be thinking, Matt, I've heard this so many times. So I'd ask you, whom do you see? Do you know Jesus. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if tonight the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has made sense to you for the very first time. If you do not know Jesus, you can tonight by simply confessing that Jesus is Lord. And believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And I'm just going to offer you an opportunity to pray with me. Not you and the person next to you. Not you and the person behind you or in front of you. But me and you just praying a prayer to God together. And this is for you who does not know Jesus. For you who tonight realizes, I don't know that Jesus, the I am, the I was, and the I will be. I do not know him, and I want to, and I need his salvation in my life. If that is you, then just in your heart, in your head, quietly to yourself, whatever you're comfortable with, pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I sin. I know that I mess up. I know that I fall short of your perfect standard. But I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he paid the price for my sin. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I trust in Jesus alone to forgive me for all of my sins and give me life. Fullness of life. I believe in you, Jesus. Head still bowed and eyes still closed. I just want to give you an opportunity. If you prayed that prayer tonight, if you put your trust in Jesus tonight, in just a moment, I'm just going to have you look up at me. No one else is going to be looking. Just simply look up at me until I make eye contact with you. Not because anything supernatural happens, okay? 
The looking up at me does nothing special. All it does is it lets me know that tonight you made a decision so that I can pray for you. And so on the count of three, if you put your faith in Jesus tonight, if you prayed that prayer, look up at me. Knowing that saying a prayer doesn't save you, but Jesus Christ alone and your faith in him is what saves you. So with no one looking around and if you just prayed that prayer, on the count of three, would you, would you look up at me? One, looking up does not save you. Two, placing faith and trust in Jesus is what saves you. Three, if you prayed that prayer, can you just look at me tonight? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Praise God. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Praise God. One more time. Amazing. You can bow your heads again. If you opened your eyes. Let me just pray for you real quick. And if you didn't look up at me, know that seven students did. And so God is active tonight. Because he is the present God who is, who was, and always will be. He is with us in this moment. Jesus, we love you. God, your word says clearly in, in the book of Romans through your apostle Paul that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you raised him from the dead, that we will be saved, God. And for the students that did that tonight, you tell us that there is a celebration in heaven every single time one person gives their life over to you. And so we know that as we speak, celebration is happening on behalf of the students who gave their lives to you tonight. God, we do not take that for granted. God, we are here because we want to know you. Yeah, there's free food. Yeah, we have fun. Yeah, we can jump around. Yeah, small groups are great. But God, we're here ultimately because we want to know you. And Lord, I pray that if there's a student in here that that's not why they're here, that you would change their heart even right now. Change their heart even right now, Lord, to want to pursue and know you deeper. God, thank you for the seven students that said yes to you tonight. Would you push them deeper in their faith, Lord? Would you reveal yourself to them more and more every day and would they fall deeper in love with you as they pursue you in truth and living like you, Jesus. We love you. We praise things in your name. Amen.